Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 10. A number of you have uh, asked about my uh, trip to Asia, which is going to start a week from Monday, and have expressed uh, some concern about certain aspects of uh, safety over there because of things that go on in the government and things that go on in the world. Uh, But only one of you has done something to help me be safe. And uh, as might be expected, that person is, is one of the pillars of the church, uh, the first, really the first person and his wife that I met when we were being asked to consider to come here six go- years ago, and that was Glenn Galay. And Glenn has given me something to protect me from the malaria mosquitoes at night and the dengue fever mosquitoes in the day. In Bangladesh, my good friend Glenn. (laughs) He said they actually wear these over in Iceland, right? Greenland, Greenland, yeah. The bugs are so thick over there, it's like like Alaska, and they actually wear those. If I could just get a pith helmet, I'd be ready to go. Going to these parts of the world that I'm going to go to have never been on my list of things to do. Really haven't. And it's not because I don't like them. It's just that, you know, I've always thought of them in less, uh, less than exciting terms. But there's a good reason that I'm going to go. And I believe the reason is found right here in John chapter 10. And I just can't think of a better verse of Scripture for us to think about as we prepare ourselves for our missionary conference. And it's John chapter 10, verse 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus has been talking about himself and God's chosen people and talking about other spiritual leaders and talking about how he is the good shepherd. And and he comes down to this point where he says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I want us to understand this verse this morning and understand how it ought to challenge us as we think about God's ministry. I've called my sermon today why I'm a Christian. And I don't know, as, as you might be sitting there looking at the notes and speculating, oh, he's probably going to say this or he's probably going to say that. I think you might be surprised that when I actually tell you why I'm a Christian. There's two reasons according to this verse that I'm a Christian. And the first one is this. I'm a Christian because of the shepherd's decision. Jesus said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. What does it mean, the, the, this fold? There was a primary ministry of Christ, and it was not for me. 
It was for God's chosen people, Israel. In the Old Testament, God, we read about God choosing a man named Abram, and later he became called, became came to be known as Abraham, he said, Abram, I'm going to make of you a great and mighty nation, and through this nation, I'm going to bless all people. The Jews were and are God's chosen people, his special people. He calls them in the Old Testament the apple of his eye or the center of his eye. And he even refers to their relationship between God and Israel as husband and wife. From these words of Jesus in John 10, we understand that the ministry of Christ was initially focused on saving God's chosen people. Listen to this prophecy from Ezekiel. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now, this was written many hundreds of years after David was dead and gone. It wasn't talking about the literal person David. It was talking about that king that would take David's place. It was a prophecy about Christ. And God said, I'm going to save my flock, that is my people Israel, by bringing them, by sending them a good shepherd. This is borne out in the beginning of the ministry of Christ. These 12, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go to the way of the Gentiles. Now, if you're new to Christianity and new to the Bible, that word Gentile is a reference to everybody who was not a Jew, basically. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Do not go to the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter the city of the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a people who were Gentiles and Jews that had intermarried. When Jesus sent out the apostles, he said, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. God sent Christ to save his chosen people. Now, God wasn't surprised by what happened. God knows what human beings will do in any given situation, so he is never surprised. He sent Christ, Christ preached the gospel, the, 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 the apostles did the same, but as a majority, God's chosen people didn't welcome Jesus or his ministry. Listen to how God sees the rejection of the ministry of Christ through this parable that Jesus told. Then Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard. He leased it to vine dressers. He went into a far country for a long time. Now at the vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, and this is Jesus talking to the crowd, therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, certainly not. 
Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priest and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. Jesus said, let me tell you a story, and it was pretty plain what he meant. So plain that the leaders of Israel realized that in that story, they were the people who had rented the vineyard and who when they saw a prophet come along, they, dis, they disused him, they misused him and, and sent him packing. And when the Son of God came, they said, we're going to kill him and this will be ours. This is Jesus' perspective. This is God the Father's perspective on Jesus being rejected. And yet there is a gracious ministry of Jesus here. And the gracious ministry of Jesus and the gracious ministry of God the Father is this. Even though God's own chosen people whom he worked with for thousands of years... Even though when God sent his son in the flesh to communicate to them his truth, even though they rejected his very son, God did not reject them. Look what he did from Romans 11. And if you want to read the whole story, read Romans 9, 10, and 11. And if you never have, you need to, so you get the whole perspective on God's people Israel and you and me. I say then, has God cast away his people? His people always refers to the people of Israel. Has God cast them away? Certainly not. This is Paul talking. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. There's a tremendous um, push today in evangelical theology toward what is called replacement theology. And it says this, the church, us, has taken the place of Israel Israel is no more. And God clearly says, has he cast his people away? No. No, he has not. Well, what has he done then? What was that parable about? What does it mean when Jesus said God is going to give the vineyard to somebody else? He says this, let their eyes, that's his chosen people Israel, let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Do you understand that? I hope I, I hope I do rock your world just a little bit because of the point that I'm coming to, but do you understand that God still loves his people Israel? And part of the reason you get to be saved is so those people someday will look over here and go, We've been missing out to provoke them to jealousy. You have a bigger part to play in God's economy than just your own comfort and your own desires in your life. God wants to use you to teach them. They have continuously rejected and rejected and failed to listen. And so now he has taken the vineyard away from them and given it to the Gentiles in the form called the church and our part of our purpose in the world is to provoke Jews to spiritual jealousy. 
so that they will say, wow, look what God has done and we've missed out. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. A mystery is a previously unrevealed truth. God never said anything about how this was going to happen until this point at which it is written right here. I don't want you to be ignorant about this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I don't want you to be wise in your own opinion. (laughs) He's talking about humility on the part of us who have been saved. You see, we don't even deserve anything with God because we're not God's chosen people. But because they rejected Christ, God said, I am going to put you on the back burner. I'm going to darken your eyes. And frankly, some of the punishment that is being meted out on them is that all of the Jewish people who die without Christ go to hell. Someday there's going to be a wholesale revival of the people, the Jewish people who are alive during the tribulation. But we should not be arrogant in our salvation, we should be humble because the blindness that has happened to Israel is so that we can be saved. And so all Israel will be saved someday in the future. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is a gracious thing from God. It's gracious of him, first of all, not to utterly grind his chosen people into the ground and say, I'm done with you. It's very gracious. If you want to get another perspective on his grace and on how he has put up with their sin, read the Old Testament, um, read the history books, and then read the, the prophet, the prophetic books, and see how God constantly says, now get right or there's going to be punishment. Get right or there's going to be punishment. Get right, get right. Over hundreds of years. And they'd come back and they'd fall away. And they'd come back and they'd fall away. And finally he says, you're going into captivity. And even when they came back from captivity, they didn't really come back to him because that's what gave birth to this whole group of Pharisees when when Christ came on the earth. And then they rejected the Son. But God is so gracious and so loving and so merciful. Even though there is a price to be paid for some of them, he is going to turn his attention to them again in the tribulation time. That's why we're not going to be here during the tribulation. It has nothing to do with us. It's about them. It's about getting them to turn to God. But the other part of God's grace is that instead of just grinding them into the dirt and maybe even just getting rid of the world, he turns his gracious salvation attention to us. And that's what comes down here to the amazing ministry of Christ. Not only is he gracious to to not give up on his people and turn his attention to us, Look back at verse 16 again and see how amazing the work of God is. Other sheep I am going to have. Is that what it says? No, it says other sheep I have. I already have them. And they are not of this fold. The fold earlier in the text is primarily speaking of Israel. And he says, some people are going to get saved out of Israel right now. The Apostle Paul is saying, I'm an example of that. 
and certainly the other apostles are also examples of that. There were Jewish people saved then. There are Jewish people being saved now, but it's a remnant, Romans tells us. But he says, other sheep that are not of this fold, the Gentiles, I already have them, but I've got to go bring them. I already have them, but I have to go bring them. Well, wait a minute. If you already have them, aren't they already here? He's talking about you and me, Christian. He says, I already have these sheep. What does it mean that he already had the sheep? Listen to 2 Thessalonians 2. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. God chose us for salvation before we were born. Somehow, God works in and around us so we will come to faith in Christ. I don't fully grasp that. I I was talking to somebody about this a week or two ago, and I said, I know this is true, and yet when I came to faith in Christ, I feel like I said, I want the Lord. I made that choice. And he said, yeah. I don't understand how my responsibility to believe comes together with God's uh, divine choice so that I would believe. But I know those two things are together, and in part I know it because of verse 16. Other sheep I have. I already have them, but now I've got to go get them. And that's what Christ has been doing for 2,000 years. He's been going to get the other sheep. I think the summary of this truth is something like this. You and I don't deserve to be a Christian. We don't deserve to be Christians. We don't deserve to be children of God because we're not God's chosen people. And because we're just sinners that God reached down and touched. But our response to it should be something like this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I can't quite fully grasp it, but God is gracious and here I am. And what We are not part of his chosen people. And so we ought to believe that our salvation is a gracious gift, not something we deserve. See, if you think you somehow deserve to be saved, that is going to change the way you relate to God and the body of Christ and the world. The Apostle Paul said, but the grace, by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Do you believe that it is a work of grace by which you have been saved? Do you treasure your salvation because God has done it for you? He has reached out to you. If you do, then I think you will respond like the Apostle Paul and say, you know what, God's grace toward me was not in vain, it wasn't wasted because I I appreciated my salvation so much that I am busy trying to help other sheep come to the Lord as well. Look again at this verse and think about something with me, will you? Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I, I must bring. They will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now I'm going to say something silly. 
I'll just warn you ahead of time so you know it's silly, so you don't think I'm off my rocker. I'm hesitating just a little bit because you never know what will happen. Did Jesus personally share the gospel with any of you people? No. But look what he says. I have to go bring the sheep. I have to go bring the sheep. He doesn't say here, a whole bunch of other people are going to go bring the sheep. He says, i got to go bring the sheep. Well, how does that happen? I told you that there's two reasons why I'm a Christian. The first one is because of what, of what, of what the shepherd decided. And the second one is this. I'm a Christian because of the shepherd's co-workers. You see, God wants me to realize that I am his partner in reaching his sheep. I am his partner in reaching his sheep. Jesus said he's going to reach the sheep. There are some churches today that believe it's wrong for me to stand up here and preach the gospel and say, you have to make a decision to believe in Christ. They say, it's all of God. Don't tell anybody any of that stuff. If God's going to save them, he'll save them. And I I just want to say, and I do, when I have those discussions, you have not read the Bible very well. Because this is what my Bible says in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples. The word disciple means a follower. God doesn't want people to just say a prayer of of a profession of faith. Yes, I believe in Jesus and then go on their way. He says people who really come to faith in Christ become followers of Christ. Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know what I, what I, I, I guess I'd say I sort of discovered this for the first time and discovered it afresh today. Christ is with me right now in what I'm doing. That's how he is bringing in the sheep. He's not going to do it himself. Now, I know the Holy Spirit plays a part. I know the Holy Spirit comes along and moves in people's heart, but he cannot do it unless somebody has declared the truth first. We are God's partners. I am with you always. We we usually think of this as as an instruction that brings us power, and as in God is with us, and amen, it, it does mean that. But Jesus said, I'm going to reach the other sheep, and he's doing that through us. Listen to what Paul said. Who then is Paul, and who's Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, he's talking about the gospel seed. I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything or he who waters, but it's God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers. God is going to reach the world through us. You get the privilege of serving the church and mankind alongside of the Son of God. How great is that? Is that your visual image? Is that your thought process as you go about doing God's work? 
uh, I'm Christ's hands. I'm Christ's feet. I'm Christ's eyes. I'm Christ's mouth. We are his fellow workers. For better or for worse, he has chosen to use us. Now clearly in this passage here, he says the, the power that's in there is God. And so God gets the glory. I don't want the glory and I don't want you getting it. I want God to get the glory. But God has chosen to use us. We are partners with God. The second thing that I want you to understand in being a coworker of God is this. God wants me to be purposeful. He not only wants me to realize that we're partners, but he wants me to be purposeful in reaching the sheep. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Does that sound like an accident? Does that sound like an accident? You know, when you get up tomorrow, you know, if something happens, then share the word. You know, just kind of, well, whatever. Oh, hey, you know. No, it's, it's much more purposeful than that. It's me saying, I need to look at my life and realize that God wants me to be making disciples. I was talking to a friend this week about a, a fellow who was a lawn maintenance guy or something like that, and he invented a better sprinkler, and now he's a millionaire. He personally supports five missionaries full-time. There's a guy who says, my purpose is not to make sprinklers. My purpose is to make disciples. Now, if, if making sprinklers helps you make disciples, praise the Lord. But the mentality needs to be there. I'm supposed to be making disciples. You see, the purposeful Christian actively thinks about how they might partner with God in the work of winning people to faith in Christ, not just about their own list of things to do today. I always have a list of things to do, and it never gets done. I have a list here. I have a list at home. I usually have a list in the car. Every morning, i got all these ideas, and I write them all down. It's a disaster. Is the only thing you think about, is the only thing I think about my list... Or do I get up in the morning and say, God, help me to be a disciple maker, wherever, whenever, whoever, however, whatever. You, you, you got to feed yourself. You got to go to work. You got to do those things. But what's your mentality? Are you purposeful? The purposeful Christian comes to church expecting to be used of God in someone's life to help their discipleship. Not just to get their own experience of blessing from the service. It, I would suggest to you that if you came to church saying this, if I get to minister to someone, it will be a good day at church. That things would really change around here. Instead, we come and say, well, oh, I hope that guy doesn't talk so doggone long. And if it's short, we go out saying, well, that was good, you know. 
We have all these ways to mark success. We, we come and say, well, the music was good today. Boy, that was great. It was a great day. Or, or you know, there's a lot of people here. Last week, there's 181 people, most we've had in a while. It was a good day. The offering was big. It was a good day. Those are all the wrong standards. Standard is disciple-making. And I want to just challenge you to be so purposeful that you come to church saying, God, how can I help make disciples today? Whether you teach a class or don't do anything, you can still be involved in the disciple-making process. God can use you. Remember, God's with you. Christ is with you. You're his co-worker. The purposeful Christian goes to work seeing something larger than a paycheck. He or she sees people who need the Lord. Now, I'm not suggesting you have to take your big Bible and, and whack everybody on the head as you walk through the door and say, you're going to hell, sinners. Uh, no, in fact, just the opposite. I, I think it takes a fair amount of time to really win somebody to the Lord. The question is not so much what you're doing. The question is, are you thinking, God, help me make disciples God, thank you so much for saving my soul. Help me to be a partner with you to save some other souls. The purposeful Christian sees the difference between critical issues and preferences and, is, and willingly becomes like Paul, all things to all men that by all means I might win some. We should never compromise core issues of doctrine. But the Apostle Paul was willing to compromise so much that he would put himself back uh, living in the way that an Old Testament Jew would live, that is, following the dietary laws and the ritual laws, so that he would not offend the Jews while he witnessed to them. He was not in any personal bondage to those laws. He didn't feel a, a responsibility to follow them, but he said, you know what, if I don't live like a Jew, I will not get to talk to Jews. And so he was willing to compromise that much. We need to be constantly trying to understand what is the difference between a critical or a vital issue and what is something that's just a preference that doesn't matter. How can I be flexible like Paul and say, I am going to be all things to all men that by all means I might win some. God wants me to be purposeful. God wants me to proclaim his truth. Um, in, in Matthew 28, he said, teach them all things. Romans, uh, uh, in Romans 10, we read this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Ultimately, people have to hear the truth of God in order to come to faith in Christ. There is no other way. They have to hear it read out of the Bible by you, quoted by you. They've got to read it themselves. They've got to come to church and hear it. Somehow they've got to hear the truth. And so somehow we have to be involved in proclaiming the truth. This is just a little thing that, that we created to help you proclaim the truth a little bit. If you stick this in your wallet, it's got, it's got uh, you know, four pieces of information. Number one, our church service is at 1045. Number two, there's the address. If you want to tell people where it is, don't say it's down from the high school. Say it's right across the street from that coffee shop. Every time I say that to somebody, they go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Down from the high school, they go, what? what, what? The phone number, 
There's some information they can get about the church just by calling the phone. And then our, our website. Our website's not as, as, as magnificent as we want it to be. Boy, it's making progress. But you know, if you go to the website, there's a thing there that says about us, and they can go about us, and they can read what we believe. Bible doctrine is there. They can read what it'll be like, at least the best we can announce it for them to come to church. They can press on a button and it goes right to a map and they can see how to get here exactly. And I would just challenge you to stick that in your pocket and say, you know what, it's my, it's my job to proclaim the truth and sometime when I'm talking about my church, if somebody asks a question, you could pull this out and if they're less than, if they're web savvy, you could say, hey, go right here to this website. You can hear the, you can hear the pastor preach right here. The truth is right there. Someday we're going to have lots of sermons there, and you could say there is a sermon about that topic right there. And it's one way to proclaim the truth. It's not the only way. You need to be proclaiming the truth yourself. Man, I, I saw the gutsiest thing I've ever seen on TV. I've seen Jerry Falwell. I've seen John MacArthur, and those guys are gutsy. But I saw Ann Coulter on TV. Now, don't send me a letter. I'm not saying I'm a fan of Ann Coulter. For those of you that don't know, she is a conservative political pundit commentator, self-appointed guru of all things. <laughs> and she, you know, it's her mission in life. She, her latest book is called If Democrats Were Any Smarter, They'd Be Republicans. <laughs> that tells you how she thinks. And that tells you how she talks. So I'm not saying I approve of everything she does. Not at all. But she was sitting across the table from a fellow that I didn't know was Jewish. His name is Donnie Deutsch, and he has a TV show about guys that make a lot of money, you know, some entrepreneur. I don't know why he had her on, other than she's made a lot of money selling books. And they talk about the problems of the world or this country, and, and I think he asked her something like, well, you know, what would make our country better? And she said something like this, well, if everybody became a Christian. And he says, wait, 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 wait a minute. He says, I'm Jewish. You mean I need to become a Christian? And she says, yeah. That's the gutsiest thing I've ever seen on TV. And she held her ground. Now, she didn't do the best job explaining anything. And he went right to a commercial very soon thereafter. <laughs> but she proclaimed the truth in as small a form as it was. Can you sit across the table and say, I love you, brother, sister, but you need to know the Lord. Every time they talk about some solution in the world, say, you know, that's not going to work. There is one that will. I mean, proclaim the truth. God wants us to proclaim the truth. We've got to be people of the book. We've got to be learning about the book so we can proclaim the truth. Uh talked to somebody recently who was trying to share the truth and not feeling like they're doing a very good job and I just said you know what just share it you'll make some mistakes and you'll have some successes and then when you walk away take note you know make those adjustments and the next time you're going to do better you're not going to win every argument in fact that's not even the goal the goal is to plant the seed apostle Paul said who's Paul and who's Apollos we're just people that plant seeds Seeds of the gospel. God wants us to proclaim the truth. God wants me to be prayerful in reaching his sheep. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. 
What do all those words mean? They mean pray for people. There's different words for prayer. They have different shades of meaning, but that's what it means. For kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to be prayerful in reaching those other sheep. Are you praying for people who don't know Christ? Is there anybody on your prayer list who is an unbeliever? Um, Many, if not all of us here in the church have family members who don't know Christ. We need to pray for each other. If you want to know which people on our list of people in the church are unbelievers, you come and ask me and I'll point them out. And you can pray especially for those people who, who as far as we know, are unbelievers. Uh, you know, but we also ought to just pray for each other in regard to faith because sometimes people haven't fully come to believe in Christ and yet they're sitting in the pew every week. We need to pray for people who don't know Christ. We ought to pray. We have a small group and we pray for each other's relatives that don't know the Lord. There is that church prayer sheet. You can pray for people. There are missionary prayer letters. Every month or however often they come out, there are missionary prayer letters. We put them up on the bulletin board out there in the foyer. And uh, we put out some summaries of that on the prayer sheet on Wednesday night. Do you take seriously your partnership with God in which you pray for people who don't know the Lord? You know, uh, missionaries send home interesting prayer requests. One of the ones that I'm praying for now, it, 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 I, I believe it's going to be resolved in a godly way, but in Spain, they're trying to get an acre of land to build a church on. Praise God, the church has become big and too big for the two apartments that they had remodeled together into a church. They have their own Spanish pastor, and, and by God's grace, in some certain circumstances, they've become friendly with the city councilman. They cannot buy property and build a building unless the city councilman says it's okay. Not like this country where you know, there's a certain law that you follow and all that. Essentially, they have to say it's okay, and they have all these rules. If that church gets built, it will be one of the handful of evangelical churches in Spain that has an independent facility that looks like it's permanent and been there a while. And that will be a great victory for the gospel ministry in in Madrid. Are you praying for salvation? Are you praying for the things that go around with people getting saved? Part of what I'm going to do in Bangladesh is preach some meetings for a church, and according to John Sarkar, there will be many unbelievers there. I don't, I'm no expert evangelist, but I'm going to preach, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to preach out of John chapter 10, because I've just been so impressed with how Christ is the good shepherd. I want to put you know, four messages for them together, on a, on a, hopefully on a level that they can get a hold of, and maybe some people will come to Christ. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, talk about being humbled to be able to go to some place where you can't even speak the language, but you can preach God's truth and see some people come to the Lord. Do you care enough to be part of that? See, that's what I'm talking about with this idea of grace. Do you appreciate your salvation enough to say, I got to do something? Because there are people in Bangladesh and people on Vista Avenue that don't know the Lord. And somehow we've got to get a hold of that and say, I am God's partner. I'm his only partner. Now, I'm not trying to say you are personally responsible for people going to hell. I'm not saying that. But who is God going to use if he doesn't use us? 
Is he going to use that church down the street that doesn't even believe the Bible? God wants me to be prayerful in reaching his sheep. God wants me to act in his power. Acts 1.8 is great encouragement. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. This is at the beginning of the church age when the Holy Spirit had not been sent to indwell all believers. Since that time, every Christian, every person who puts faith in Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now here's the question to ask, what is the power of the Holy Spirit? What is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? What is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life for witnessing? Is it some direct act whereby when, when, when you speak gospel, the Holy Spirit just comes down and whacks people on the head? Is it that alone? I do believe that the Holy Spirit takes God's truth and, and prods people. The Bible word is convicts them. But where does the power come for ministry? I believe it comes from walking in the Spirit. What does that mean? What that means is, is that the way I lived for six days is just as important as me standing here speaking the truth. And the way you live for six days is just as important and prepares you to share the truth that one time in a week when you might get to share it. When we choose to act according to the scriptures, the Holy Spirit empowers our choice of following him and we are transformed. If you're not living in that transformation, you're living in sin and you will not be useful to the work of God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 said, I want to run the, way, the race of life righteously so that I don't get disqualified from ministry. If you're not living a righteous life, you won't even be interested in reaching other sheep. Say, oh, gee, Pastor Dave, you got to preach on evangelism again. Yeah, I just did that a while ago. And if that's your attitude today, forgive my judgmentalism, but I think it's biblical, it's probably because you just don't care because you're living for yourself. God wants us to walk in the Spirit. And when we do, God opens our eyes and helps us to see what's going on and how we can be part of his ministry. God wants me to lend practical to support to reaching his sheep. And part of that practical support is giving money. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. This is that partnership thing. You're a partner with Christ. When you give money to God's ministry, you are partnering with Christ. And fruit abounds to your account, or credit abounds to your account. God tells us to lay up treasure in heaven. This is one of the ways we do it. It's not the only way. It may not even be the most important way, but it is an important way. And so I ask you today, do you support God's work of reaching his sheep? We have a missions fund and a general fund. Do you give to the missions fund? Um, 
there's going to be a giving commitment card in the bulletin uh, next week regarding increasing your giving so we can increase what we give to missions. Will you take that seriously? Will you pray about it? Instead of, or, or will you look at it and go, oh, I can't afford to give. I can't afford to give anymore. Really? Not even one dollar? Not even one dollar? Do you work in ministry? A very practical way to support ministry is serving the Lord in the church. Uh, let me give you two specifics. We need a missions committee, a missions team. We have a chairman, that's Jeff Hodgen, but we need a team, a bunch of people, so that when we have a missions conference, all the details can be planned out in advance and, and well thought out. We, we need to be thinking ahead. You know, we are, we are Helen Steele's sole mission agency. We need to have a group of people who are constantly looking at her needs and helping facilitate her ministry. We should be looking ahead saying, you know, we want to go to Greece and do something over there. Or we want to go to Bangladesh and do something over there. We need a missions team of people who will work on that. If that's too much for you, coming up in, in November, as we have in the past, we're going to have the cookie connection where you make cookies. We package up a nice gift bag of things and take it out to our neighbors and friends and say, this is from our church. We love you. Here's a, a message from God's word in here. And, and it's, a, it's, it's a simple way for us to connect with people. Here's a challenge for you. Have you ever saved up some money to do something for the Lord? Have you ever looked at something and said, man, you know, there's something that's kind of big, and I can't afford to do it, but I wonder if I could do it with God. I wonder if I could save up a couple thousand dollars to go on a mission trip. I wonder if I could save up, uh, you know, we talked to Tim Newfelt recently about some property, and it sounded like $1,000 would buy a piece of property to put a church on. And they want to go into this certain area and buy the property before anybody knows Americans are coming because once they see the Americans, the price goes up. A thousand bucks. I don't very often have an extra thousand laying around, but could I save it up? Could you save it up and do something special for God? You know, not to get a pat on the back, but honestly to say, I want to be involved in reaching those sheep. Kids, could you trust God and say, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to find some way to make money so I can help support the work of God in other countries as well as here. God wants me to, have, to give practical support to his work. Lastly, don't cheer. God wants me to persevere in this ministry. God wants me to persevere in this ministry. You know, sometimes we hear a message about doing God's work, and we get all excited, and then nothing happens, and we go, okay, no big deal. Something will happen if we persevere. Remember, that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained, therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Do you believe God enough in this work of reaching the other sheep to persevere with him, for him, in him, even when things are tough? You know, I got this virus on my computer. I told you about that a week ago. Did a little homework on it this week. Guess where it came from? China. There's somebody over there who makes money by inserting a virus and then trying to sell you a spyware eradication program for 50 bucks so that you can get rid of the spyware in your computer. That's a, that's a good racket, a good gig if you can make it happen, you know. I'm still trying to, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm succeeding at getting the computer cleaned out and making it work. But because of the burglary we had a few years ago, I have a laptop as well. So I set the laptop up and I'm able to work and, you know, I have a lot of duplication of material from one computer to the other. So I was able to just keep going on and kind of keep working on the computer on the side. I'm glad I have a backup system. God doesn't have a backup system. You're his partner. We're his partners. The church is his body in the world. We need to take up this responsibility of reaching those other sheep with him and trust him to guide us and bring us along and to make us effective in his way. Heavenly Father, help us. Boy, we are selfish by nature. We like to do what we like to do. We don't want to work any harder than we have to work. And I'm saying we here, Father, because I know my own heart too. Help us to lay ourselves aside, to think of others as Christ did. Help us to really joyfully join hands in this wonderful partnership of reaching the sheep that you've called us to. Father, if there's somebody here today who's not yet come to faith in Christ, help them to embrace their Savior today, to put their faith in him, to receive that salvation. I pray in Christ's name, amen.